Associated, a podcast making venture capital more accessible. My name is Francesca and today I am joined by the lovely Lois. Hello Lois, how are you? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. If anyone listened to the previous episode, they'll know that I was struggling with a cold. I'm pleased to tell everyone that I'm much better. That's amazing news. And any top tips for a swift recovery? Um, Nothing you haven't heard before. I would say oodles of orange juice and rest. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) everyone in between. (laughs) But I'm very excited to welcome our guest today actually a personal friend of mine so I'm, I'm so excited to compare to associated so Lois please join me in a warm welcome to the wonderful Emily Henenzo from In Motion Ventures welcome Emily how are you thanks Francesca thanks Lois I'm so excited to be here thank you for having me Oh, well, I've been so excited for this episode for a long time, actually. And I wanted to have you on. And then I think someone from your PR team contacted me and I was like, absolutely. Like it was definitely double fate that this was going to happen this year. And I think to kick off, it would be great if you just gave a little bit of an introduction of who you are. Yeah, sure. So I've been at Emotion for the last four and a half years. I'm originally French. I studied social sciences and uh, and management. Sounds super cheesy, but I did a year abroad in Berkeley during my bachelor's where I just fell in love with the tech scene. And so I decided to do an internship in a crowdlending startup uh, in Paris called We Share Bonds which is pretty much at the intersection of finance and and tech, with actually a lot of similarities to VCs. But I didn't really know how to get into the VC at the time, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I did an MPhil in management, as you do when you're not sure really what you want to do (laughs) with your life, Um, uh, which actually filled some gaps that I felt I had in management and um, financial acumen. And did a consultancy project, my MPhil in management, uh, got introduced to the British car manufacturer Jaguar Land Rover, did a project for them that wasn't related at all to venture capital, but I presented at their corporate town hall. I had a great mentor there that told me about, you know, in motion being set up by Jaguar Land Rover at the time. Um, four and a half years ago. And I asked for an introduction to the team for an interview. And I had a six-month internship on the back of that interview. And you know, four years later, principal at InMotion. So that's that's a little bit of my story. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. I just have a quick question before we move on to hear about kind of what you do today. And so I think you said that you joined InMotion when it was just being set up, or perhaps you joined shortly afterwards. So um you know, how much influence did you have and how much work did you do to help actually set up the fund? Uh, yeah, sure. So I joined, I think, six months in, four and a half years ago. So we had, we had made a few seed investments. And, you know, I think it was definitely a, a team effort. I'm not going to overemphasize the, the impact of it that I had as an intern in, in setting up the fund. But I will say, though, that we had a super flat hierarchy and a great team working together to really build everything from scratch. Uh, and it was really about building you know, the network of InMotion, building our investment processes, building our brand in the ecosystem, reaching out to investors and startup, and kind of trying to have impact from the get-go, which 
I think is really a case uh, for joining a first-time fund. It's so fun. And whenever I speak to someone who is thinking of joining VC, I always make the case for a first-time fund because you just get to do so much as an intern or, or you know, as an entry-level junior. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. I, I completely understand that because I've had quite a similar experience. My role in, in the fund that I'm in, I joined right at the very beginning. And for me, at least, I found that being part of that process, particularly with a fund that's new, you go through quite a, um, and you get to experience quite a lot in a short space of time. Was that, was that also the case for you? And how did your responsibilities change from when you started to now? Um, so I joined as a research analyst. So at the start, it was really about setting up our research function because we actually do a lot of research as a, as a CVC to kind of come up with our investment thesis. So it was really structuring our, our research reports, but I think it evolved into more deal sourcing, which really, you know, kind of taking up the first call with, with founders, trying to diversify our, our channels of deal flow. And then going more and more into due diligence, understanding how to do financial due diligence, commercial due diligence, understanding the legal terms, understanding a bit more the technicalities of venture capital. Then when you have a bit more seniority, you start doing a bit of portfolio management and how can we add value to the core business and joining those, those boards and doing reporting and quarterly reporting to the LP. So there definitely was a diversification of the task that I had from an intern to, to where I am today. But I'd say that even as an intern, I think you get a lot of exposure uh, to the whole process. You know, you get to sit in that room, kind of seeing how deals are being structured, how you brainstorm with a team investment thesis, how you add value to your portfolio. Uh, so it, it was pretty much from the start, a super holistic experience. Yeah, I think that's really understandable. And so coming back to like present day then, what's your day to day like at the moment? And I know that's always a really tricky question in VC because often no two days are the same, but like, I suppose, what are your key responsibilities? What does a principal in motion ventures do? Yeah, sure. I guess I probably covered a, a few elements in my previous question, but we're a super lean team. So we're three on the investment team. Uh, we actually really need to expand. And we pretty much do everything from, you know, like sourcing deals, trying to diversify our channels as much as possible. Another part is, of course, due diligence. So once we've you know, seen a deal that we really like, kind of proceeding with a commercial DD, financial DD, market landscape, like the tech due diligence, also as a CVC doing our due diligence with a JLR, trying to find a, I guess, internal champion within the core business, even though I don't like this word of internal champion. But, you know, as a CVC, you get to tap into a network of expert in the topic, which is really useful for, uh, for due diligence. Then a third bucket is portfolio management. So once we've done that investment, how can we add value to the core business, which is really a question that you ask yourself a lot as a CVC, like how do you build bridges between the startup and the core business? And then the fourth bucket is research, which is, and I kind of touched on this already, but we try to do a lot of research reports uh, at InMotion, um, trying to do workshops with JLR and really keeping our finger on the pulse of innovation in, in the space because we are a sector-focused fund looking at transportation and mobility. So really being up to date with the ecosystem is critical. That's super 
Interesting. And and maybe you touched on it there, the thesis of in motion ventures. But I would love to learn the story of how it started out in the first place and what was the rationale of creating a fund. Yeah, sure. So we were set up five years ago by Jaguar Land Rover and really to support their long-term strategy by unlocking the power of external innovation, kind of understanding the market landscape. And generating, of course, financial returns in in the process, but really to understand where mobility was. Obviously, mobility today encompasses a lot of things and it goes beyond car ownership, which is very different when you speak to Gen Zs. They don't necessarily have their driving license or they don't think about the car in the same way that our parents used to. So obviously there's a huge shift in in mobility and transportation. So it was really to understand the innovation that was happening in the ecosystem. Uh, And so we started out as really a seed stage fund investing in early stage startups in transportation and and mobility. I'm saying seed, but we've since then kind of involved to encompass larger deals. So we really look at seed to series B today. Our average ticket size is between 100K to 2, 3 million. And we don't typically lead investment rounds. We prefer to co-invest. And when you're talking about the shift, I guess we did have a shift because we started out looking more into uh, mobility services. And now we've really expanded the remit of our fund to a, a lot more sectors of innovation, which are known as the ACEs in the industry. It's autonomous vehicles, connectivity, uh, electrification, and shared services with an overarching theme of sustainability, which is becoming more and more important for us. Those are really interesting subjects, but from my understanding, and I've dipped a little bit into each of those categories, there's a lot of speculation of when autonomous vehicles are going to come, how are we going to build in infrastructure for everyone owning electric cars, etc. So I would like to know how you go about your research and how do you create a thesis, particularly around timings of these things? Because I think that's integral for, well, for A, Jaguar to understand, but also B, like when you're going to be returning your investment to Jaguar, not just, you know, when they should start building an electric or, you know, implementing those factors into their core business. Yeah. And I'd say that, you know, we, we have those verticals, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a priority for us now. And with autonomous, I think it's a good example of a vertical that is, of course, in our focus, but it's perhaps less of a priority today, because as you say rightly, I think it's, I think there's been a little bit of a hangover in the industry about timings of autonomous vehicles. When I joined in motion, it really felt like, autonomous vehicles were around the corner as in like a year or two. I mean, maybe not, I'm exaggerating, but really like there was a lot of emphasis around how feasible the technology was. And I think in the last couple of years, we've realized that actually the technology is really, really, really complex and that it's it's really nowhere near um, like at least fully autonomous vehicles aren't necessarily around the corner. So we are looking at specific innovation in the tech stack of autonomous vehicles, but it's not necessarily a priority area for us now, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So although that is disappointing, Emily, I understand what you're saying about autonomous vehicles. So let me ask you this then. What at the moment is like the hottest topic in mobility, or actually maybe it's more interesting, What are you most excited about? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think right now I'm most excited about electrification and sustainability. Within electrification, there are a lot of subsectors like battery technology or smart charging technology, second life batteries, and what's going to happen to the batteries inside the vehicle, which are huge and still have value at the end of their life. But how is that industry going to shape up? So it's it's probably the sector, which also ties into this, the, like the sustainability angle, of course, and how we're going to get to, uh, to you know, no carbon emissions effectively. But how do we also have sustainable sourcing, compliance solutions to track your supply chain, um, circular economy? And there's so much innovation in material science today um, to also just source better materials and, and have a more sustainable car in, in itself. Um, so I think those two areas are, are probably the ones that really, really excite me. And I'd love to know if you've got any of companies in your portfolio that fit either one of those categories. Yeah, sure. So we actually have um, a company which is called Circular and they do supply chain tracking. So they've developed a software platform that tracks the movement of materials and components in a supply chain from source to manufacturer. And then they perform due diligence to make sure that pretty much everything is in order in, in the supply chain. And I think it's, it speaks to a really important trend, which is that consumers care increasingly about the sustainability of their products and, and services. And so there's a lot of pressure on manufacturers to ensure that their supply chain is, is ethical. And I only think that this will increase, especially as you have regulations coming to play. And they're fantastic companies. And they started out with this automotive segment, but it's really just the beginning because this technology is pretty much applicable to other industries like fashion, aviation, plastic recycling, uh, and they're just totally booming. And I think it's this perfect cocktail of product to market fit and, and kind of timing, which is just such a hot topic right now. And, and companies are starting really to care about this, especially with the supply chain issues that we're seeing post-COVID. So it's uh, a really interesting company that probably takes the, the two boxes that I talked about, like electrification with tracking components in battery supply chain and sustainability. Yep. It seems like it ticks all the boxes, which is fantastic and, and great that you've managed to support that company on their journey. And just to add to that also, I think it's such an exciting space to be working in and do correct me if I'm wrong, because I think vehicles or, or automotives are at the forefront in many cases of of pushing that sustainability path in, in physical things, more so than potentially aviation, et cetera. So when you look towards what the future of mobility might look like, it's often related to the car because they're so visible. And there's been a lot of, as you said, like five years ago, a lot of press and stigma around all the emissions that vehicles were contributing towards the environment. And so it's great to see like uh, companies like Jaguar and Rover changing their thesis accordingly to cater towards the demand of the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's also that cars are, for a lot of people, quite an emotional purchase. Yeah. And so I think that if you have the opportunity to have a more sustainable car, I think a lot of consumers care more and more about that and will want to see that translated into the, the car that they use every day, which for them is their carbon footprint, effectively. 
Mm. And talking about the needs and wants of the customer, perhaps we can jump to the needs and wants of the founder. And you you mentioned there that one of your roles and responsibilities is portfolio support. So I was wondering how, as an organization, Jaguar Land Rover supports founders in their portfolio. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And that varies obviously massively from uh, whether the company is at a seed stage or even pre-seed versus uh, Series B and Series C. So we've got a very wide variety of, of startups that like, defer in their maturity stage. I think what's interesting with seed stage companies that we present to JLR is that they really kind of disrupt the company's thinking because they're probably, you know, five, seven years ahead um, to what the company is thinking now. So they they have a really strong impact on, on how the company is thinking. And we generally, when it's a seed stage company, realistically, JLR maybe cannot have a full-blown partnership with them. But we're definitely at this stage doing warm intros, educating the business of the need of that startup and just yeah, spending a lot of time doing this education piece on, on both sides, kind of also mitigating the expectation of, of the founder while kind of educating the core business of, on why this is an important space and, and sector. For, you know, Series B plus companies, that's realistically when we can start really enabling uh, partnerships. And I think our investment into Urgently is a is a good example of, of CDC. So Urgently is a US-based digital roadside assistance provider. So if you're stranded in the US, Typically, you would wait like two hours for a service provider to come and urgently is effectively digitizing this this process and sending help more efficiently. A little bit like the Uber of roadside assistance, even though I don't like to label them that way, but I think it's probably the the easiest way to put it. And we invested at um, their their Series B, introduced them to JLR um, when they were ready. And a year later, they won JLR's roadside assistance program in North America. And now they have a really deep partnership with JLR. And I think it really shows the the benefits of CVC when it's done well, it's like you can really create value for the both sides. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true, Emily. And I suppose it depends from fund to fund where that value lies. Kind of as you say, it can be quite it can be quite specific according to which company it is. Um, and so I guess like just asking you more generally, what do you think you might say to a founder who was considering approaching CVCs for um, investment? I think probably the biggest advice I'd give is really educate yourself on um, the CVC because there are a lot of different shades of, of CVCs and Louis, you probably know this really well, but you know, I think you probably have to see it as a spectrum of financial VC to like pure strategic VC, which really makes an investment purely for partnership versus uh, financial return. And you have a lot of different shades of, of CVC. So we tend to position ourselves a little bit in more in the middle. So obviously we invest, you know, for, for strategic fit with the JLR, but we also really care about making a financial return. So we do a financial due diligence, which is really similar to financial VCs, but adding this strategic remit. And so I guess for founders out there, which are reaching out to CVCs, kind of understand the, the shade that your CVC is in and make your due diligence, you know, kind of speak to founders in the portfolio, make sure that these are people that, that you know, that you trust and want to work with and that also they understand that you're not going to be a captive of the company because I think for pure strategic VCs, sometimes they invest with a view to, to kind of acquire the business. So I think 
due diligence on CVCs is probably the, the most important thing that you can do as a founder. And yeah, that's probably probably the biggest advice I'd give. Yeah, that's great advice and probably applicable to other funds as well that you might be thinking of, I guess, um, maybe broadening it out just to say all fun, funds are different. And yes, yeah, as you say, just so important to do the research and to understand like the intention behind the thesis. So don't just note down like the stage that they invest at and what their average ticket size is, Like really get behind that to understand why might be good advice to do. Yeah, that's true. And also look at partnerships that have been done in the past with that corporate, you know, is it all talk and no action? Like are portfolio companies actually engaged with the core business? What's the real value that they've brought to portfolio companies? And I feel like actually that's a question that I'm not, and I'd be curious to hear about your experience, but it's a question that I don't really get often from founders. Like tell us about the value that you've brought companies. And I think it's it's a it's a quite an important one for for a founder, especially as you're, you know, about to give a, a, a stake to a, a to to a VC that you know, shapes your business ultimately. Yeah, yeah, no, you're definitely right, and I think like also again, it's about sort of level setting and like what do the founder and the investor mean when they say partnership? Because you know, a founder's idea of a partnership and a reasonable time frame for one could be quite different to a corporate investor's time frame. And it's not to say that one is necessarily right over the other one, but it's just about in that line of communication and making sure that you kind of understand what you might be getting yourself in for. Yeah, definitely. And perhaps a question for both of you, because I have not been in this position as an investor in a CVC. Are there specific skills that you might need to hone perhaps more than you would at a more traditional VC? I think for from my side, I think you you need to sell the startups perhaps a bit more than a, in a traditional like financial VC. I guess I guess you probably do this in a financial VC by selling the deal to partners in the IC. But I think there's also an element when you're in a CVC where you're speaking to people that aren't necessarily used to speak speaking to startups, and you have to communicate value that the startup can deliver in a longer time frame that they're actually used on operating. So it's like, we're not trying to solve short-term problems, but just, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of look at future trends. And so there's a level of educating the core business as to what we're doing, which is probably a bigger part of the job than for a financial VC. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I was actually going to say something really similar, but I was going to major on like, um, I suppose we might call it like cross-functional stakeholder management or something like really being able to do that from the perspective of someone who has to be both embedded within a corporate, but also be able to speak to and engage with startups and other investors in an effective way. I think that's quite a skill because those types of roles tend to be very different and often, you know, get a whole load of crossover between them. Got it. And I imagine also what is quite important is not only the the macro timing of the investment, but also in a way the micro timing of the investment within the organization and like when to pitch it, who to pitch it to, and how that corresponds with recent company announcements, press in in regards to that maybe. Does, does that also uh, make an impact in whether your investment goes through or not? 
Yeah, definitely. I think finding people in the core business, which are really excited about what you're doing and kind of understand the value of investing in a startup for kind of the long-term trajectory of a company is, is quite crucial. And I mean, it depends on your setup as a CVC. So you've got, for instance, CVCs, which require like a sponsorship of an entire department in order to, to do the deal. Um, there are some that even require actually commercial agreements to be signed in order to, uh, to invest, which obviously slows you down massively because yeah. uh, you know, rounds are being signed so quickly these days that you have to be quite on it. So it really depends again on the on the shade of, of CVCs that, that you have and kind of on how their investment committee is is structured. Yeah, so I, I totally understand what you mean by that. And it, I can see that it will depend on the level of engagement and buy-in that you need to do the investment. But I feel as though with a corporate venture fund, almost always there will be some degree of tension between how long that process takes for the corporate and how quickly the founder would like it to happen. And so in managing that, and perhaps not just with timelines, but other types of expectation as well, how important is it to have empathy with the founder? And how do you make sure that you keep that at the forefront of your mind when you are managing that relationship between the corporate and the startup? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. It, it really depends on whether the startup is doing something which is kind of short term and a strategic priority for JLR, which in which case, you know, we, we really have to take the corporate's perspective in mind, which we always have to do. But it's slightly easier when it's an area that's not of a strategic priority like now, but more like in the future for, for companies which are uh, perhaps a bit more like five years ahead. So it really varies. But I think it's really important to have empathy and, and also to manage expectations around timing. So it's, it's, it's really important. And I think this is actually the strength of having a CVC, which invests, you know, across multiple stages, because you can meet a company at a seed stage, which isn't quite ready, or, you know, you're, you know, that it is going to take longer in order to, to kind of commit to that investment. And so you can start building a relationship. It's not quite there yet, but then you kind of follow the company through their maturity. And so I think having the ability to invest across different stages really helps that because you can build a, a longer term partnership with the founder. Yeah, absolutely. And does it help that you have uh, had a hand in setting up your own business? I think it has. I mean, so maybe just to give a bit of color to that, I, I helped set up a, a business with my mother in sustainable skincare, something which is totally different to automotive. It really was quite a spontaneous endeavor. We were we were on a train and heading to a wedding and the train was being delayed and we're looking at trends like retail trends and we're seeing more and more people sell on Instagram. We also kind of wondered if we could ourselves try to sell things on Instagram. And so it started out, you know, can we sell soap on Instagram? And then we just thought it would be a really interesting side project to, to start. Um, so we found the company's name, it's it's Medusine, and we we just set up the entity in that train with bad Wi-Fi. And I did it with my cousin and, and best friend. And it was you know, a bit of a, a crazy endeavor to uh, set up a Shopify account and you know, our supply chain and logistics process. And it definitely, I think it definitely teaches you a lot about, first of all, the, the struggles of, of starting a business, but also you get to kind of experience, I think the ups and downs. And, and I think that 
definitely taught me to have a lot more compassion and empathy, like you said, um, Louis, earlier. I think it's it's a really important trait in a VC. And it's something that I, I, I really hope to keep in, in the long term. It's like this just this memory of like the sheer terror of starting something new uh, from scratch. Uh, and having to pivot over and over again. It's 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 a it's a really interesting endeavor. And I think it's really important for VCs to have kind of operational uh, experience to understand founders a bit better. But I'd say that for people who are thinking of starting a side project, because I hear a lot of people in VC who want to have more operational experience, I think a side project is really great to learn new skills. But I think as soon as the company starts scaling, that's when you have to decide are you taking this full time or are you actually just kind of backtracking and taking more of an advisor role, which is what happened for me on my side project. Um, so my mother took it full time and started three other brands and two media platforms. She's pretty, pretty amazing, but it's very difficult. I found to kind of sustain a side project that scales while being full time VC. Wow. Your mom sounds really, really cool. And in terms of maybe quickly diving into your team a little bit you mentioned it's quite a small team but in terms of the skill sets like how do you complement each other yeah I mean I absolutely love love my team and I think we have a lot of fun every day and we complement each other's skill sets so we've got Alex Smout which is principal on the team he's been there pretty much from the start as well five years ago he comes from an engineering background with some interest in, in sustainable design as well. And then we have Louis Fern, who's an associate, also who comes from a business and, and management background, so similar to me, but he worked in a, a SaaS company in the, in the past. So I think, you know, we, we definitely complement each other in terms of like engineering um, and business acumen. And I think it's for the people listening who are kind of trying to get into VC, I think waiting to find the right team is so important because it's just, it impacts your day-to-day so much. And I think there's one key learning that I've taken from this four and a half years at Emotion is that your teammates really kind of make or break your experience in VC. I mean, I don't know if you you both experienced that, but it's just so important. Oh, I, I 100% agree. I think it applies to every single job where 75% of your experience and enjoyment of a role is based on who you're working with. And that cannot be emphasized enough that when you're interviewing for a fund or indeed any job, recognizing whether you have chemistry and you agree with their morals and feel like you can add something to the team and thesis of the fund. I mean, all these components are so integral to trying to figure out in what is actually a pretty short time frame, if you think about you, know, you being there for four years, I suppose you had a test drive, Emily, with your internship of what you end up committing to, which is many years at working at, at a company. But but on that note, actually, are you hiring anyone at the moment? So yeah, we are in the process of expanding the team and we're looking for a visiting analyst to join us in the next few months, pretty much to help us in our research activity and deal sourcing activity. But I think, as I mentioned previously, we'll also have exposure to the entire process of of executing a deal and we're super flat hierarchy. So I think you can just learn so much when 
you know, you're, you just, I guess, end up doing things that perhaps you don't, you don't expect and you just have a lot more exposure to things, which is the case when you, when you join a smaller fund. So we are looking for, for the gem of a visiting analyst. And we're also recruiting a new associate to join the team. So if you're interested and you've got some previous experience in tech, consultancy, or investment banking, or any other relevant experience, feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. That is amazing. And could you tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So they can get in touch with me on on LinkedIn. I spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn. And I also have my email address on my LinkedIn profile, which I'm not going to spell out because it's a really long email address. But uh, but yeah, LinkedIn is probably the place to go. And we also actually have a, a job listing that is that is up. So you can, you can also apply directly through the link. But LinkedIn, if you want to speak directly to me. Incredible. And we'll pop the link to the LinkedIn in the description for this episode. So if you've been listening and you're interested in working with Emily, then just pop on down and click the link. Amazing. And thank you to all our wonderful listeners, as always. Thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode. If you'd like to drop us a note, please, please do on either our email, which is associatedpodcast at gmail.com or Twitter at associated underscore pod. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.